Hey, good morning. Uh, I think it's appropriate. We're talking about men uh, for a few weeks. The man codes and how this series. Uh, to, if you're a man, just just uh, turn to someone and give them your best man grunt. You get oh, 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 oh. You can be confused. It can be whatever you want it to be. Hey, uh, I, I want to tell you a thank you uh, for before we jump in this morning le- for last week for the back to school fair. Uh, we gave away 650 some odd backpacks full of school supplies, 1,200 hot dogs. Dozens and dozens of haircuts, uh, organic vegetables. Um, you served people. You gave hope to people in our community. And I want to tell you, thank you. If you, if you were a volunteer, if you, you donated supplies, you gave money, you made a difference. We want to be the kind of church. Yeah, that's totally. We, uh, we want to be the kind of church that if we were not here, the community would go, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? So we want to be that. So, so thank you. Thank you for doing that. Hey, stand with me if you would. We read a passage of scripture every week. It'll be on the screen. You can follow along. I'll read it aloud. This is from the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to some Christians in ancient Turkey in the city of Corinth. And now I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongue of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Verse 11, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thanks so much for standing. Oh, hey. Wow, I got the whole church to say bless you. That was great. <laughs> so I want to tell you, just as we're kind of kicking this off, uh, a couple stories that to me are, are really inspiring about the idea of being a man. Uh, one of them is, is, for me, has been for a, probably a couple decades now, as I read it a couple decades ago, one of the most inspiring scenes uh, from human history for me. Uh, the scene is, it's a true story, the scene is the Roman Colosseum, if you can picture uh, the movie Gladiator, and it's a scene like that. This was a uh, hundred or so years after... Uh, Jesus was here. So uh, a man by the name of Polycarp, who was the bishop of Smyrna in Greece, um, was persecuted for his faith along with other Christians. This was the era when Christians were literally thrown to the lions and people would come and it would be sport that you would watch. And so if you can picture the Roman Colosseum packed with people and in the center is a pyre, P-Y-R-E, where you make a, a thing of fire and a stake and there on the stake is an 86-year-old man, uh, Polycarp, the bishop, who had been hunted down uh, for his faith and been brought before the Roman proconsul. And they'd said, you need to renounce the Christ. You need to announce, renounce Jesus, renounce your faith, pledge your allegiance to Caesar. And he said one of the most inspiring things that has stayed with me for two decades. He said, 86 years have I served him. Never once has he let me down. How could I reject my king and my savior? And so they lit the fire. And Polycarp sacrificed his life in the name of Christ. But when he was coming into this, when he was coming into the Colosseum, um, he reports and people report that were there, they heard this voice from heaven. We'll put it on the screen. It said this. It's about what we're going to talk about during this series. Be strong, Polycarp. Play the man. Play the man. Now, what does that even mean? Well, it means... 
Uh, it means to become a man with all of the rights and the responsibilities and the privileges. It means to wear the name man with uh, dignity and with self-respect. We're going to talk about that uh, during uh, this series, about what it means to play the man. I'll tell you one other story. This is kind of we're jumping off here. Uh, this was in the 1700s, the College of William and Mary, still a, a university today, Williamsburg, Virginia. They made an offer to some of the Indian chiefs that were around, and they said, hey, if you'll send us 12 of your best braves, we'll provide them a free education. They saw it as outreach, right? And the chiefs politely declined. It's a little bit, little bit long, but I want to read you what they said because it's so interesting. This is what they said back. He said, several of our young people were formerly brought up at colleges of northern provinces. They were instructed in all your sciences. But when they came back to us, they were bad runners, ignorant of every means of living in the woods, unable to bear cold or hunger, neither knew how to build a cabin, take a deer, or kill an enemy. Spoke our language imperfectly and were therefore neither fit for hunters, warriors, or counselors. They were totally good for nothing. So the Indian chiefs made a response back to uh, the, the administration of Col College of William and Mary, and <laughs> we put it on the screen, this is interesting. If the gentlemen of Virginia will send us a dozen of their sons, we will take care of their education, instruct them in all we know, and make men of them. <laughs> well, that's what we're talking about, is uh, what, it, what it means to be, have a man uh, made of you. Now, I, I want to argue uh, here that we're kind of in a, a bit of a crisis about manhood in our time, in our day. And we're not quite sure what to do about being a man. Uh, a crisis is not always a bad thing. A crisis has uh, in it a, a problem. Like you might have a financial crisis. Uh, you might have a work crisis. You might have uh, a health crisis. And, and a crisis has two components to it. There's the, there's the problem, uh, but then there is the opportunity. So if you have a financial or a work or a health crisis... Within that is the opportunity to make some different financial decisions or to make some different work decisions and how you interact with people or to make some different health decisions. There's uh, an opportunity to do things different. I, I would argue that we're in a crisis of manhood. That means there's a problem, uh, but that means there's the opportunity to do something different and pass something different on to the next generation. Because you know, as men, we pass on who we are to the next generation, whether we plan to or not. They pick up on what we're like as men, uh, the next generation, whether we... We think about it or plan for it or not. And so let's pass on something good. Now, I thought we, we probably need to talk about the problem. So I thought I'd get your, your input. Uh, even if you're a lady, you can, this is your chance, right? You say whatever you think, but especially if you're a guy, what are some of the problems that you see that men face today? You just shout it out, okay? Ready? Security. Job security. All right, there we go. Job security is certainly one. Old age. Old age. <laughs> What else? Insecurity. Insecurity, okay. Respect or lack of, right? Uh, let's see, what else? Money, okay, financial, right? I think that men struggle with PMS, power, money, and sex, right? So is that time of the month? Yeah, it is. Um, what, what else? What else? That's a great list. What, what else? Shout it out. Ego, okay. Anything else? Can't, what? What? What's it? <laughs> women. Someone said it in the first service. I'm going to put it here. Women, frankly, we do not understand you, even though we've been married to you for a long time, right? Great list. Great list. Pride, Pride absolutely. I, I, uh, I'll let me just kind of, let's just dig into this a little bit. Uh, I've been in the process of kind of studying where we are as a, a country with regard to work. 
And one of the people I've been reading has done a bunch of research on this and it shared some really alarming things, and I think this affects us as men. Uh, said that in today's real dollars versus 1970, the average man makes less. And, get this, that half of the men in America make $15 an hour or less. Now, that does something to us as men. It emasculates us and makes us feel like we cannot provide. Right? It's a challenging thing. Um, we don't, this is just kind of a man thing, but it's also a cultural thing. We don't want anyone telling us what to do. And as a culture, that's kind of a value. We say, you shouldn't tell me what I ought to be like. And yet, at the same time as men, we don't really, we think we know what a man is, but we also kind of would like it if someone would explain to us what we're supposed to be doing. And so, at the same time, we don't want anyone telling us what to do. We're supposed, we, we want someone to tell us what to do. I mean, insert a joke about men asking for directions here, right? We, we, we're confused about where we're going. We're, and I'm not going to talk a long time about this, but we're confused about gender. Uh, can a woman become a man? Can a man become a woman? Uh, if you're a young man and you're trying to sort what it means out to be a man, that's incredibly confusing. What in the world am I, what in the world am I supposed to be? We don't any longer have any collective examples of what it means to be a man that we kind of all basically agree on uh, that a man is or is not. Uh, when I was a kid on Sunday afternoons, I'd go home after church, I'd turn on the TV, and I would watch a John Wayne movie, The Duke, right? Remember? Remember John Wayne? That was a man, right? Uh, I still is, right? I would watch The Lone Ranger, the old black and white version. Yeah, uh, they need to bring that back. And I would, I didn't, no one told me, but I knew somehow that an honest, good, kind, courageous person like The Lone Ranger was portrayed on TV who didn't use foul language and was kind to ladies. I, I somehow, somehow understood that that's what a real man is. We don't have that anymore. We don't have those pictures, those collectively shared pictures. We don't even really know when you actually are a man. Are you a man when you get your driver's license? I don't know if you know this. Statistics say that students today, um, less and less, are actually getting their license. Students are not as excited about driving. That used to be like this marker. Oh, I got my license. You know, I'm becoming a man. Uh, is it when you graduate from high school? What, what is it that defines actually when you are a man? Here's, here's, here's how, what we do. Most of us as men, we take our cues on what a man is supposed to be based on what other men around us are doing, saying, thinking, wearing, and driving. Isn't that the case? We look around and go, that must be what a man is like. So we, it's usually superficial things like what you drive or what you wear. And we think that a man is how you are on the outside. And we think this is what a man is supposed to look like. This is what a man is supposed to talk like. So here, uh, if you wear, a, this is not bad, but if here, if you wear a do-rag and drive a truck and for good measure have some tattoos and drop the F-bomb, you are a man, right? That's somehow manly. I, I, here's what I want to suggest to you, and this is the way it is around the world, that whatever you think a man is supposed to be is nothing more than cultural programming. You're being fed a line about what a man is supposed to be. I will prove it to you. Uh, I got some pictures here of some men from different cultures. This is from some men in Papua New Guinea where we do some work with the hospital there. And uh, if you were a man, you would drive nothing because they don't have cars in Papua New Guinea. And you would wear a headdress, right? Women, wouldn't you love it if your men came home dressed like this? Like, oh, honey, you look so handsome, right? Uh, bring it a little closer to home. If you grew up Amish and you were around Amish men, 
this is what you would drive, and this is what you would wear. Uh, if you were in the Middle East, you would look like this. I zoomed in on this picture when I first found it, and I was like, those guys are, A, they're holding hands, and some of them are, like, interdigitating, like, awkward. Uh, <laughs> you, you would, like, what? But if you were a man in that culture, that's what you would look like. This is uh, from India. Um, this is uh, you know, men wearing dresses you know, on camels. And you, you may go, well, I'm, I'm, no, but I'm a man. If I lived there, they wouldn't make me like that. I'd be, wear, I'd be driving a Harley and wearing a cut-off T-shirt. No, you wouldn't. You'd drive a camel and wear a dress. That's exactly <laughs> what you'd do. You are like everyone. You are programmed by the culture around you. You have a man code handed to you that you, you and I usually accept hook, line, and sinker about what a man is supposed to be, but I want to suggest to you that it's faulty, that it's a nail in the pipe, that it's water in gas, it's a hole in the tire of manhood. Now, that's, that's some of the problem. What's the opportunity, though? Uh, Paul tells us, he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you the most excellent way, Paul says. And then he unpacks what is probably one of the most famous passages of Scripture in all of the Bible. Um, it's read often at weddings. Uh, but here what Paul is doing is he's giving us the man code of the Bible. And he says that the man code of the Bible is not what we think it is. And it's what we're going to talk about during this series. But the man code of the Bible is love. And what Paul does is he starts out by describing some of the ways that we try to validate ourselves as men. He starts out and he says, listen, if you have, I have the tongue of men and of angels. In other words, I have great skill and I'm, uh, people look at me and go, man, how skilled is that man? How skilled is that guy? Uh, which is something all men want. We want to be seen as skillful and competent and, and uh, smart. And Paul says, I can be that guy and have all the skill in the world, but not have love. And I'm really all I am is just a clanging symbol. Just a sound that someone hits and then goes away. And then Paul says, if I had the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. In other words, if I'm a wise person and other men come to me for my insight on what should we do here? And what do you think we should say to them? And if we're that guy, and all guys want to be seen that way as the people that people come to and turn to. Uh, he said, Paul says, you could be as wise as, you, as anyone on the planet, but if you don't have love, he says, you're nothing. You, you don't really have respect. And then he says, uh, if I gave all I have, if I surrendered my body to the poor, if, in other words, if I'm hardworking, right? What guy doesn't want to pride himself on his work ethic and talk about what a hardworking man he is? And, and, and Paul says, if you have all that and you're the hardest working guy that anybody knows, but you don't have love, then you have nothing left to pass on. You, you gain nothing. If I validate myself the way the culture around me validates myself as a man, Paul says, listen, in the end, what your life is going to be like is a gong. It's a sound that was there for a little while, and then no one remembers it. You're going to have the kind of life that you really don't have the respect that you're wanting. You want people to respect you for your skill and your wisdom, and, but you're not going to have that. And you're also not going to be uh, someone that people uh, look to and, and get, the, get wisdom from. You're going to gain nothing in the end. You're going to have nothing to pass on to your children. You're going to have no legacy you're going to pass on. But Paul says, because those things are not bad. I, we want to be skilled as men. We want to be wise as men. We want to be hardworking. But Paul says, when you couple them with love, they become like a male super weapon that you can deploy in the world and make a massive difference. And so we're going to spend a little bit of time uh, over this, this series 
exploring this opportunity, exploring the Bible's man code, that's love. Now, here's what I know some of you as men are thinking. You, when you heard me say the Bible's man code is love, you're like, oh, gosh, seriously? I mean, love? Come on, tell me, tell me how to be an actual man. But Paul is, Paul is actually telling us what true manliness is like because he steps down. We're going to unpack this whole 1 Corinthians 13. But he goes down and he says, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, when I became a man, I put those ways behind me. So this is a, this is a statement about what a real man is like, and we're going to talk about that. Now, I want you to, so you know what we're kind of going to talk about, and you kind of get a sense of it. I want to explain one thing to you that that means, uh, so you can kind of understand where we're headed with this. I, I think, if you're like me, I, I think that the church experience often uh, has the effect of neutering men. Because uh, men, th- men want to do things, we want to be challenged by things, and what some people think the church experience is that I have to come and sit in a room and be nice, and that's kind of the last thing that men want to do. Now, thoughtful men see beyond the surface level of that, and they go, no, this is where I go, and I get refueled, but men want to do things. They want to overcome obstacles, and, and God made us as men to be tough, uh, to be uh, powerful, and I think sometimes the church experience neuters men, but I, it's not tough the way you might think. I got a couple resources that I'm using uh, for this series. Uh, one's a book called Play the Man by a pastor who's a New York Times bestselling author in Washington, D.C. named Mark Batterson. The other one is, I, I don't think the guy's a, a, a follower of Jesus, uh, but he wrote this series of letters between him and this uh, young kid, a uh, young uh, boy who had no father, and the mother asked him to build a relationship, and he shares the letters they wrote back and forth. Um, in a book called A Return to Innocence. Powerful. If you're a man and you want to pass something on to your sons or your, your nephews or your grandsons, man, it's a powerful, powerful book. But in that, uh, the author Jeffrey Schwartz, he tells this story when he was 16 about toughness. He said he had one of his uncles who uh, lived by the man code that was all around him, and he said, hey, kid, come here. I'm going to tell you something that if you'll remember this, this will help you the rest of your life. And so he, as a 16-year-old kid, didn't know any better, and he kind of leans in to what his uncle's getting ready to say. He says, now listen, kid, this is important. So he gave him this little rhyme that he'd somehow made up. This is what it said. If you find a friend that's true and blue, make sure to screw him before he screws you. Now, most of us as men, it's in the man code. Most of us as men, when we hear the word tough, that's kind of sort of what we think. Nobody's going to hurt me and I'm going to get them before they get me. This is not what Paul is talking about. He's talking about a toughness in our ability to love. He's talking about a powerful form of love that doesn't protect itself, but protects other people. There's a wildness even in what Paul is talking about. Uh, Ecologists have a word for what happens to wilderness when the wilderness takes over, and uh, all the things that happen in wilderness happen. They call it uh, rewilding. It's when the wilderness is restored. I, um, every year we go to Texas to see my dad, and, and we didn't this year, but normally we drive, and we drive through Kansas. We drive through the Flint Hills in the east, southeastern part of Kansas, and if you've ever been there, and you've ever been, I grew up around Prairie as a, as a young kid, and if you've ever been there, it's beautiful, and they have this national park called the Tallgrass National Preserve, and you can go and w- w- go up these rolling hills, and uh, we, we'll go up and watch the sunset, and at one point there's this, you get up about a mile hike, you get up and there's this gate, and it says, 
If you cross this, there are wild bison. We cannot guarantee your safety. You're, you're stepping into the wild, right? And I want to I suggest that what we need to do is we need to rewild men. If you don't pay attention to the ministry of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus was he took 12 guys with him, and he said things like, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And he took them basically on a three-year-long camping trip. Now, ladies... I know you're not there when uh, men sit around a fire at night. We do the stupidest stuff you could possibly imagine when you were sitting around a fire. I won't even repeat what we do or what we say, but it's just as stupid as it possibly can be. you got to understand, Jesus, I mean, what do you think Jesus and the disciples were doing at night around the fire? Were they knitting doilies? I mean, what? They're, they're doing what men do around a fire. I think Jesus was saying to them, he was rewilding them, and he was saying, this is what it means to be a man. I'll give you one of my favorite quotes about this from a guy named G.K. Chesterton, who wasn't a Christian. He discovered the message of Jesus and how wild it was, and this is what he said. He said, the more I considered Christianity, the more I found that while it had established a rule and order, the chief aim of that order was to give room for good things to run wild. Now, when I think of wild, I have an animal that comes to mind. I think of a wolf. Uh, in 1995, in uh, Yellowstone National Park, uh, they reintroduced the wolf after 75 years. And some pretty amazing things happened. Um, the wolf is one of the main predators in any food chain. And what happened is they would hunt down the coyotes. And when they started to kill the coyotes, well, the coyotes hunt smaller game like rabbits and mice and and so the rabbit and mice population grew, and then because the rabbit and mice population grew, there were more hawks and more eagles. The deer had overpopulated Yellowstone National Park, and the wolf went after the deer, and because of that, there was new traffic patterns, and so there were new plants that grew up. Uh, and because there were new plants and new trees that grew up, then there were more berries, and so the bears came. And they found this, they were amazed by this. Six years in, the trees where, that had been overgrazed had quintupled in height. And there were bare valleys that were reforested, and then the, the songbirds came, and then the beavers came, and they chewed down the trees, and they put dams across the river. And the effect of releasing a wild wolf affected the entire ecosystem and even changed the course and flow of the rivers, and there was less erosion. Like, this is... This is kind of the call that's on your life as a man. When you actually embrace your wildness and you become wild like a wolf, you affect everything around you. Now, I need to, I need to clarify here. I'm not telling you to go hog wild. Don't go out of here, the pastor said. Yeah, I'm wild! I, did, I didn't say that, okay? I didn't, I didn't say that. I'm saying have the courage to not be tamed by the man code that's around you. Don't go, you know what, I have, to be a, I have to have a big truck, and I have to wear this, and I have to have that tattoo, and I got, there's nothing wrong with those things, but don't say you got to have that to be a man, and when you have that, somehow you'll have achieved some sort of status. Have the strength and the courage to be a man on the inside. I told you last week that I'm growing this really pathetic beard. My point in growing this really pathetic beard, because I'm follically challenged, is, is to point out that it doesn't really matter what you look like on the outside. It's the kind of man you are on the inside that counts. And you can be a person who is wild about loving other people and having a love that protects other people. But you've got to be strong enough to resist the man code around you. And you've got to be strong enough to say, I don't have to be like that. That doesn't have to be me. 
In uh, 1991, Rabbi uh, Michael Weiser moved to Lincoln, Nebraska to take over a Jewish synagogue. Lincoln's not a very big town. I lived in Nebraska in my elementary years, and Lincoln's not a huge town. And uh, when he moved in, he started to get phone calls, harassing phone calls. This is before call waiting. This is before cell phones. This is back when you had the tape answering machine. (laughs) Remember that? And and he would get these messages, these hateful messages like, Jew, go home. We hate you. Leave. Well, he did a little bit of research, and he found out that there was a guy named Larry Trapp, who was the grand dragon of the KKK for Nebraska. Larry Trapp had diabetes and was in a wheelchair, and so he was disabled, but he had a lot of hate in his heart. And so he would make these accusatory uh, messages, uh, these full of bravado messages toward this Jewish rabbi. And so the Jewish rabbi, Michael, he decided that he was going to do something about that. And so what he would do is he would, he found his number, figure out who he was, and he would call him and he would leave messages like this. Uh, Larry, there's a lot of love out there. You're not getting any of it. Don't you want some? And then he'd hang up. Or, or he'd leave a message and he'd say something like, Larry, why do you love Nazis so much? They'd have killed you first because you're disabled. And then he'd hang up. <laughs> and he would do this once a week. Now, his wife said, uh, you know, you, you need to be prepared because he might actually answer the phone someday. So you need to know what you're going to say to him. And you need to have something nice prepared that you're going to say to him. And sure enough, one day... Uh, Larry answers the phone when Michael calls him. And so he's kind of shocked, but he has something prepared. And he says, hey, well, hey uh, I heard that you're disabled, and I thought you might need a ride to the grocery store. Not long after that, Larry Trapp called Michael Weiser and said, I'd like to get out of what I'm doing, but I don't know how. Could you help me? Uh, his diabetes had taken over more and more of him, and so Michael Weiss and his wife moved Larry into their home, the grand dragon of the KKK, who spewed nothing but hate, and they took care of him so that he tore up his Nazi flags, renounced the KKK, and actually became a Jew. (laughs) Now, listen, that's... That's our story. That's, uh, we follow a Jewish man who laid himself on a cross. He was, he, was, he was wild for love, Jesus was. And he demonstrated how to actually be a man, to be, to be wild in all of the best kinds of ways, to become good and to become a wild kind of good. And that's the invitation that's given to you and I. But you've got to become wild for the right things. You see, you've got to be the man code, the new man code, the man code that has been there since the beginning that God planted in the heart of man is that you would become wild for love. And I want to challenge you over these next, this is basically a long introduction to this series. Over the next several weeks, I want to challenge you to be a real man. We're going to talk about the things we struggle with as men. We're going to talk about anger. We're going to talk about being dads. and We're going to talk about what's going on on the inside. We're going to talk about all that. But I want to challenge you to step up, ignore the man code around you, and become a real man because you're going to pass it on, and I want you to pass on the best possible version. All right, let's pray. God, some of my friends, some of my, my friends here are, uh, as men, we're, uh, we don't like to admit it, but there's an insecurity in us. We're not quite sure we're doing it right, and so we put on a show on the outside, 
to make it look like we're tough or like we got it all figured out or we don't want to admit we're wrong. And, and uh, that's hard. That's hard stuff. So, God, I pray uh, you, you came yourself as a man into our world and you showed us what a man is like, a man who's wild for love, love that sacrifices and protects and keeps and trusts and preserves things. So we want to be that, those kind of men. We want, us, we want you to make us those kind of men, men who are wild for all the right things. So we're going to need your help, and we're open to being taught. Uh, we're humble enough that we want to learn. And so pray you'd teach us. We ask these things in your name. All the men in the room said, amen. amen. I want to invite you to stand with me. We always leave you with a blessing. You'll see people around you holding out their hands. That's their way of saying, hey, I'd love a blessing. If you're comfortable with that, great. Receive this blessing. May you know the love of God uh, that knows how to be a man knows how to help you be the man you've always been called to be. And uh, may you know that you are sent to love God, to love people, to serve the world in his name in a brave way. Hug somebody, a man, and let them know you love them. See you next week. <laughs>